To all who are weary and in need of rest, to all who are grieving and in need of comfort, to all who are weak and in need of strength, to all who sin and are in need of a Savior, I would like to welcome you this morning to open up your Bibles to the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. And there, I trust, you will meet with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and receive comfort for your soul. Merry Christmas. I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here. It is my honor and privilege to be with you this morning, to be working our way through um, an Advent series. Today, we'll be considering the subject of God's love, the subject of God's love. The passage we'll be considering Today, upon the recommendation of my oldest son, is 1 John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And you'll find 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 11, appearing on page 1023. Page 1023. I'm going to read the passage and ask for the Lord's help on our time together. And then we will get to work in this passage. Should be uh, 30, 35 minutes or so. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we bow ourselves before you, humbly asking for your help, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us this morning in order that we might understand your word, and that to the degree that your Spirit enables us to understand what we've read, that you would take these truths and write them upon our hearts in order that they would bear fruit in our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. God's people said amen. They stayed, they stayed, while so many others, doctors even, fled to the countryside while a plague ravaged the Roman Empire. They stayed, the Christians. A couple hundred years after the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, a plague broke out across the Roman Empire, and thousands were dying every day. Cities were hit the hardest, 
And those with means fled to their country homes for safety. Christians, however, stayed. At the same time, and scholars debate whether these are related, at the same time, persecution broke out against Christians. The Roman Emperor Decius issued a decree requiring all Roman citizens to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods for the well-being of the emperor and for a proof of their loyalty to him. Well, the Christians, of course, refused. And so, while they stayed caring for the sick, while they were taking in dying children, while they were nursing those who had been abandoned by their families, Christians were being treated as traitors. Some were tortured. Some were imprisoned. But nevertheless, the Christian church continued to attend to the sick at the risk to their own lives. So many of them contracting the very disease themselves. But they stayed. Endangering themselves, they stayed. And why would they do this? Well, you know why they did this. Love. This is what Christian love does. Christian love, built on God's love, gives and spends itself for the good of others. Love moves toward the mess, not away from it. Love gets its hands dirty. When others surrender to self-preservation and act in self-interest, Christian love stays and gives and serves and cares. And this is because self-sacrificial, self-giving love is simply in the Christian DNA. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. Well, you just read it. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This tells us that God saw His people infected by sin, affected by sin, turning their back on Him, turning their back on one another, spiritually dead, slaves to their own appetites, taking from one another, misusing one another, mistreating one another. God saw them and God loved them. And God did something. Jesus Christ wrapped Himself in humanity. The love of God was made manifest. Jesus laid down His life for His people's sins. Christians stayed in Rome amid persecution, amid a plague, because of this. This is what God did for them. Seeing them ravaged by the plague of their sin, God did not flee to His celestial hills. He did not wash His hands of these rebellious people. God sent His own Son to save His people from their sins. Jesus saves. Jesus stays. And so this is what Christians did. And this is what Christians continue to do nearly 2,000 years later. The Apostle John, who is the author of 1 John, anchors God's command to love one another 
in the love that they have received from God. We love because we've been loved. Love gained becomes love given. More than that, to John's point in this letter, love given is proof of love gained. We'll spend the next 25 minutes or so unpacking 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 11, and we'll see the source of love, we'll see the sacrifice of love, and then we'll see the standard of love. The source of love, the sacrifice of love, and the standard of love. All of this driving the main point, which is this. You can see it on the screen. Which is to see God loving His people by sending His Son to atone for their sin. And so love one another. To see God loving His people by sending His Son to save His people from their sins. And so love one another. I trust that you'll see that as we work our way through the passage. Let's read verses 7 and 8 one more time. The Apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So love is the essence and the evidence of Christian life. Love is the essence and evidence of Christian life. The singular command in this passage, which is repeated twice, is this, love one another. For John, love is essential to the Christian life. So much so that verse 8 says that those who do not love cannot be Christian. Verse 8 is sobering. Let's not glance over it too quickly. Verse 8 is sobering. If someone doesn't love, then John says they don't know God. Well, because that's who God is. God is love. And if you don't know God, then you're not a Christian. So if we might put it a different way, if someone doesn't love If love is not pervasive in their life, they're not in Christ. They don't know God. They're not going to heaven. (laughs) Verse 8 is a really heavy verse. And so, with so much on the line, don't you think it would be important for us to know what John means by love? What is love? Love. We need a definition. That word is thrown around a whole lot, isn't it? Love is love. Well, what is love? You've heard me say this a few times before, probably. I, in in talking about love, I love tacos and I love my children. But these are not the same kinds of love. I love tacos because they're delicious. And they make me happy. But sometimes my children do things that don't make me happy. But that doesn't change my love for my children. My love for my children is not based on what they do for me, but who they are. And so love isn't love. These aren't the same. 
If I love someone based on what they do for me, then do I actually love them or do I just love myself? Doesn't that essentially objectify everyone if I love someone for what they can do for me? And so we should know what John means when he says love one another because we just have so many different ideas of what love is. Well, we, we need to thank God that we don't have to wonder what love is. The Bible tells us exactly what it is. And so if you don't mind, keep your finger there in 1 John and turn backwards in your Bible to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're using a church Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, we found on page 960. We'll be reading verses 4 to 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. You've probably heard this passage read at weddings, which is, by the way, fine. But the, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 isn't a marriage. The, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is church life. Church membership, actually. And here we find God's definition of love. God is love. This is love defining love in 15 verbs. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and following. What is love? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Fifteen verbs. To define what love is. And the first verb is this. Love is patient. Love is patient. Now, in English, we often use the word patient as an adjective. Like Browns fans are patient with the Browns for their bad management of the team. But here in 1 Corinthians 13, patience is a verb. It's an action. Love does patience. Well, the old word for patience is long-suffering. Love suffers long. It remains. Think of the way that the Lord is with us, how He suffers long over our many transgressions, how the Lord patiently endures our many immaturities, our stiff-neckedness. Our hard-headedness. Think of how the Lord endures the times when we're simply unteachable, seemingly unbearable. As those who have received such patience from our Savior, what does it say of us when we become impatient with one another? Impatient with our spouse? 
impatient with our children, impatient with our church. Beloved, you will never hear from your Savior's lips the words which so easily fall from yours. How many times do I have to tell you? When will you get it? Come on, grow up. Well, the Lord is patient and suffers long with us. And we ought to be the same with one another because that's what love is. Love does patience. It is the proof of love. Second verb, love does kindness. Another verb, love acts. It does in kindness. It extends a helpful and considerable hand, considerate hand. So Christian, think of the many kindnesses of our Father toward us. He's moved toward you and offered you His hand. And contrast this with the way that we often approach one another. If we say that, we're, that we love one another, but we're unwilling to help one another, then I'm just not sure what we mean when we say we love one another. Love does not envy and it does not boast. Love rejoices in God's blessing on others. Love undervalues our own advances, our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own understanding. Love actively avoids arrogance. It deliberately turns away from anything that could be perceived as rude. Arrogance means puffed up. Rudeness means acting without giving honor, without giving grace. I just wonder, Christian, does this categorize you this Christmas? As you were going about doing your Christmas shopping, when you went out to eat, when the barista made your coffee wrong, did your words, did your tone reflect the love of Christ? Did you give grace? Were you impatient? Were you rude? Love, Paul says, does not insist on its own way. So my way or the highway is simply not the Christian way. Love defers to the wisdom of others. When we don't get our way, love means that we don't get irritable. Love is not resentful. That's the word that's in the ESV, although I think it's probably not the best translation. The original word that Paul uses is richer. It means that love does not... Keep an account of wrongdoing. Love keeps short accounts. Love is enthusiastically forgetful of others' wrongs and failings. 
you, you may meet some people, some folks who claim to be Christian, who are perpetual contrarians, just fixed upon everything that's wrong in the world. And the way they live, it's, it's like you'd sooner squeeze orange juice out of a lump of coal than to get a compliment out of them. Beloved, let us not be miserly with our encouragements. Let us be effusive with our encouragements. Whenever you see evidence of God's grace in the life of another person, you would do well to bring attention to it. You know, there's probably a lot of things that you wanted to give as presents this Christmas. But you know, a word of encouragement might be the most impactful thing you give away this Christmas. The only cost is spirit-wrought humility. And I sure hope that that's not too expensive for you. Love actively rejoices in the truth. Paul means it looks for the truth, and wherever it finds truth, it rejoices in finding it. Consider this for your New Year's resolution. Make 2024 the year that you rejoice in the Spirit's work that you see in a brother or sister's life. At the slightest whiff of the aroma of Christ, Follow your nose and point it out. Look that brother or sister in their face and tell them how you are encouraged by the work and evidence of the Spirit that you see in their life. Give away compliments, unqualified accomplishments. Not like, I'm surprised to find such good things happening to you. Real compliments. But I just want you to know how encouraged I am every time I see you do X. Brother, I've noticed that the way you are with this person, that person, encourages my heart. You remind me of Jesus when you do this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all... I have lingered long over 1 Corinthians 13.7. Does Christian love like that make you a pushover? Does Christian love like 1 Corinthians 13.7 make you gullible? Love believes all things. In some ways, I think it does. And is that a bad thing? I'm not convinced it is. Besides, what is the alternative? What's the alternative to believing all things, hoping all things? Walking around with a perpetually critical eye, skeptical, suspicious, distrustful. Your hand ever hovering over the eject button just as soon as you don't get your way. I'm out. Is that... Is that the Christian life? Is that peace? Is that love? Is that joy? 
PBC, there is a freedom that comes when you bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Sure, it probably does make you naive. It probably makes you susceptible to mistreatment. But the alternative is far worse. It makes you a flight risk to all of your relationships. It makes you suspicious of motives. Worst of all, the worst thing it does is it makes you cynical. And there there is nothing that will kill joy faster than cynicism. Love that comes from God is love that stays. A love that endures through imprecision and imperfection and the messiness of life. That's what Jesus does. When love doesn't get its way, it rejoices with those who do. Love is okay not having everything fixed all at once. Love endures through a one-way kind of relationship. Love sticks with that immature believer, hoping all things, that one day he will wake up and begin leading in his home and begin taking his family and, and doing family worship with them. It believes that one day he'll begin reading his Bible every day. It believes one day, one day she'll believe. One day he'll settle down. Love hopes all things. That's what love is. That's all that it is, those 15 things. Love is that. Now, can we be honest? Who does that? Who loves like that? Maybe on your best day, you might have one or two of those things locked in. But living an entire life free of irritation, are you serious? I feel like some days I just live in a constant state of irritation. It's just my resting face. It's irritation. So where does that leave us? If that's what love is, well, I'll tell you where it leaves us. It leaves us with this uncomfortable reality of 1 John 4, 8 hanging over our heads. If you don't love like this, you don't know God. So let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 again. We've got to get from verse 8 to verse 9 and 10. And let us thank God that the Apostle John did not leave us there in verse 8, but instead delivers to us verse 9 and 10. We've seen the source of love and how different we are from the source of love. And now we must see the sacrifice of love in verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. God sent. God gave. John 3.16, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son. Because that's what love does. Love gives itself. Love spends itself on the good of another. And this is how our God manifested his love. He gave himself. God sent his only son into the world. 
at Advent, what we're doing is celebrating love personified. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin wrote, Christ is love covered over with flesh. It's what we call the incarnation, the taking on of flesh, God adding humanity to his divinity. Christ being born a human child is the manifestation of God's love, the manifestation of the divine nature which is to love. And God's love moves towards our mess. God's love moves towards those under the heavy weight of verse 8. God came to self to the self-inflicted train wreck that is our lives. And he took responsibility to clean up the wreckage at his own expense. Christmas celebrates that God came down. God descended. Love took on flesh. Jesus gives his life to give us life that we might live through him, is what John says. This is love. Not that we loved him. That's what we, that's not, we don't get the standard of love from ourselves, the way we love God. The standard is the way that God has loved us. God did not wait for you to get your act together. He didn't stand all the way in the back and say, fix it, Wellman, come on. I've given you a plan, all the commandments, just do them. No, God initiated my rescue by taking on human flesh to redeem me from my mess. Love gets its hands dirty and cleans up the mess, even the mess that others made. Well, John tells you how Jesus did this, how God love took responsibility. Verse 10 is the explanation. Love sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation is just a big old Bible word. It means a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God and changes God's disposition towards us to favor. From wrath to favor. Sin is any act or attitude or nature that is contrary to God. So it's all the things in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 that we haven't done. It's impatience, it's unkindness, it's rudeness, it's irritability, it's all the things that God is not. And the consequence of sin is to be cut off, to be cut off from God, to, to die. And so love displayed itself in Jesus taking on the punishment and penalty of the consequence of those sins. That Jesus, who had no sin, died for sin. He was cut off from the living. He died and was laid in the grave and rose again on the third day. And so for those who are in Christ, the penalty of sin, even the power of sin, has been removed. It's been expiated, taken away by the Lord Jesus himself. And all that is left for you who are in Christ is the favor of God. This is how God showed his love. He gave his son to be the propitiation, to take away everything that separated us from his favor. 
so that he could give us favor and eternal life that we might live through him. So if you're visiting here today, I hope you're hearing what 1 John 4 is saying. This is what Christmas is all about. It is the love of God that he shows to sinners by sending Christ to die for their sins. The Bible says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So my unbelieving friend, you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to become a good person in order for God to love you. God demonstrates his love for people who are a mess, who aren't good, by sending his son to die on the cross for their sins. And when you turn from your sin and you trust in him, God looks upon the sacrifice of his son and credits you with the work that Jesus did. He gifts you the very righteousness of Christ and eternal life. Friend, can I just encourage you, take one of those Bibles home and then come back next Sunday morning. Lord willing, we'll be considering Luke chapter 19 and you can learn more about what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus and to show the love that you've received to others. Well, that brings us to the final point of our passage today where we will end our time together. Verse 11, the standard of love. There's one word. It's really important in verse 11, and it's the word ought. Let's read verse 11 again. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. The hinge of verse 11 is that word ought. It carries a sense of obligation. Having received the love of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, we are now duty-bound to love one another. Well, not in the sense that we have to pay God back for what He's done for us, but in the sense that we owe God our very lives. I took lunch this week with a dear brother who understands this better than most. Understands that we're living on borrowed time. That every day is a gift of God's grace. God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe Him everything. And what a privilege it is, having received the love of God, that we get to spend the rest of our lives demonstrating that love to one another. Christians ought to love one another in the same way that a fish ought to swim in water, that an eagle ought to fly. In the same way that is the very nature of a peach to be sweet, it is the very nature of a Christian to love. Having received love, we give love. We show patience because we've been shown patience. We give kindness because we've been shown kindness. Christ himself, highly exalted, humbled himself and sacrificed his, himself. He took the form of a servant. And so we serve one another without insisting on our own way. Jesus bore the burden of our sins up the hill of Calvary. And so we bear the burdens of brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we encourage them. We love because we've been shown love. So this Christmas, Christian, do business with the cross. Receive the love that you need 
at the foot of the cross. God is love, the infinite fountain of love, an ocean of love without bottom or shore. Look to Jesus Christ, rejoice in Him, and the bounty of His love shown to you. Fill your hearts with His love, fill your minds with His love, as much as you can fit in. And then join with the saints of God and pour that love out on one another. Pour out that 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 kind of love. Pour out the love that doesn't give up. The love that cares more about others than it does itself. A love that doesn't demand what it doesn't have. A love that doesn't parade itself around. A love that doesn't carry a bloated sense of its own importance. A love that doesn't force its will on others. A love that doesn't act in its own self-interest. A love that doesn't fly off of the handle. A love that doesn't tally up all the sins of others. A love that doesn't revel in other people's failures. A love that rejoices when others prosper. A love that puts up with anything. A love that trusts in God in all things. A love that looks at the best in others. A love that keeps going even to the very end. Because Christian, this is the kind of love that you've received. And this is the kind of love that you ought to show. Verse 11 happens because verse 10 happened. Those Christians in Rome stayed because verse 10 was true. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. Do business with the cross. Love gives, love serves, love endures, love stays. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, and as my pastor reminded me this morning, God of all mercy, God of all grace, God of all love, hear us as we pray for your forgiveness. Love is patient and we have not been. Love is kind and we haven't been. Love does not envy or boast and yet we have. Love is not arrogant or rude and yet we've been. Love does not insist on its own way and yet we have. Love is not irritable or resentful and yet we've been. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings and we have. Love rejoices at the truth and we haven't. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things and we haven't. And so, Father in heaven, would you please look upon your Son, our great Savior, the very propitiation of our sins, the sacrifice that we need, see his life and see his death and apply the accomplishments of his work to us. Send us from this place to our Christmas celebrations with a renewed joy in your salvation, with a renewed commitment to trust in Jesus and to lean on his life and death and resurrection. Holy Spirit, take what is of Jesus and declare it to us that we would love like him until Christ is all. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. One of the things that we love to do here at PBC is at the very end of our services, 
but go to God's Word. And for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of their sins, we search God's Word for an assurance, a word from God that He has forgiven us of our sins. And today I'm pleased to read to you Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, an assurance of your pardon, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Brother, please lead us in one more song before we close.